Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast Investorpreneur, where investors meet entrepreneur. Here we talk about everything investing, business, raising capital. And today we've got a very unique topic because this is something that I've always wondered a lot about, which is the hedge fund industry. My name is Peter Leung, and I'm a global real estate investor. I own, invest, develop properties around the world. And you've seen me on videos or working with people on stage, serial investors, entrepreneurs, talking about private equity, businesses, angel investments as well. Now, today, I've got a gentleman here. He looks a little bit like Tom Cruise. I know you guys can't see, but he is just as good looking, and he's taller than Tom Cruise. But more importantly, he knows a lot about the hedge fund world. His name is Tom Kiko the Managing Director of the Global Head of Research and Communication at AMA, which also stands for the Alternative Investment Management Association. Tom, welcome to the show. Thank you, Peter. Thank you for the kind words. Nice to be here. Thank you. Before we really dive right into what hedge funds are, can you tell us a little bit about your organization? Because basically you are the Alternative Investment Association, which all the big players, the new players, the entries, Tell us a little bit about your organization, first and foremost. Yeah, of course. So our organization this year celebrates its 30th anniversary. So we were founded in 1990. Initially, it was a group of managers that came to work with us to have their voice heard in certain circles as a collective. Started off as a several European-based asset managers. And from there, over the last 30 years, we're now representing in excess of 2,000 corporate members, about 60% to two-thirds of that total would be made up of asset managers, primarily hedge funds, but also private credit managers. And they manage in excess of $2 trillion in assets under management. So the hedge fund side, our, our members, part of that hedge fund universe, would manage approximately $2 trillion in assets under management. And private credit side would manage about 400 billion in assets under management. So you're looking at nearly two and a half trillion collectively between both private markets and public markets. And we have representation across 60 countries globally. As you've mentioned, Peter, we have some of the biggest managers on the hedge fund side who are members. Certainly you're looking at about 300, 350 managers that would run in excess of a billion dollars at their, at their firm level, you know, we would have 80% of that alone, as well as the majority of hedge funds in their number, as opposed to their assets under management, which typically the hedge fund would be about 150 million in assets under management. We have a great number of them as well. So by size, some of the biggest players that um, manage assets under management. And by number, we've got a very large collective of managers globally representing small, medium, and large-sized asset managers. Fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Now, as an investor myself and working with a lot of serial investors as well, you know, hedge funds obviously has been a very popular topic amongst investment horizons. A lot for high net worth, family offices, serial investors, high net worth investors. Now, of course, we're just coming out, we're in December now, where there is a pandemic in the midst of it, coming to the closure of it. But the pandemic has really allowed a lot of volatility to happen in you know, 2020, which typically helps a hedge fund perform. How has this changed the hedge fund industry? And what has happened this year alone from your perspective? You know, interesting, a couple of things that I'd like to take up on, on that. 
let's just go back to basics, just if you can afford me a minute just to put this in context. So the Absolutely. original hedge fund sought to minimize risks by hedging their investments so that they could deliver positive returns for their investors, regardless of whether markets went up or down, that being described as uncorrelated. Yeah, And to this day, hedge funds continue to do that, employing highly sophisticated risk management techniques, and they continue to deliver uncorrelated returns, and which is a big draw for institutional investors and family offices and high net worth investors, those who you have described to me. And a majority of that collective are from the institutional investor side. I always try to describe hedge funds role in two ways. When you think about the Warren Buffett and his rules around investing, Yes. Rule number one, make sure you don't lose any money for your clients. And rule number two, don't ever forget, don't forget about rule, rule number, number one. one, right? And that is how institutional investors think about hedge funds. Certainly the institutional investors we talk to, which would be pension funds, sovereign wealth funds, endowments, insurers, and foundations, you know, they are looking to hedge funds to reduce the volatility in their portfolio, where they would have significant allocation to equities or the fixed income. They will look to hedge funds to reduce their volatility, to preserve their wealth, a la Warren Buffett's rule. But then the uncorrelated side of it, or the alpha performance, say, where they're looking to deliver an outperformance that you cannot get from equities and fixed income. You know, right. That's another part of the universe. I think it's important to understand that in terms of thinking about what people's rationale will be to allocating to hedge funds. In terms of the performance this year, thinking about that rule number one, make sure you don't use your client's money. And if I bring you back to what happened in March when we had the correction as the world started to realize the severity of this dreadful pandemic, you saw that equity markets went down about 20 to 25%. A 60-40 portfolio, which would be typically what a pension plan would invest in, and that would be equities and fixed income, 60-40 portfolio fell by about 14%. In March alone, and equities fell about 25% in March alone, the average hedge fund lost 6% in March alone. That's important then to think about that in context. And to think about, again, the rule number one. Why are people investing in hedge funds? Why is it remaining so popular? It's because it has gone about doing the job it's supposed to do, which is preserve capital, manage risk. Now, coming into the end of this year, this past month has seen, um, and there's been turbulence right throughout the years, equity yeah. markets, Locally, Hong Kong index is still down about 20% on the year. FTSE is down about 20%, 15-20% on the year, right? Last month in October, you were still seeing significant losses reported by the S&P, reported by equity markets, reported by even the balanced portfolio was only up, up a couple of percent, right? Mm -hmm. Even 1%. Hedge funds were up 2% on the year last year. So they're still doing their job, which is, can you make sure that you don't lose your client as much money as you would do if you were invested in equities of fixed income? Right. Roll on now to November. We had news of the vaccine. We had news about a new US administration. Equity markets skyrocketed. But also certain strategies across hedge funds and positions that they would have taken throughout the course of the year, managing risk, putting positions on, investing in particular sectors of the market have done very well. So hedge funds now year to date, the average hedge fund is up about 8% as of the end of November. Certain strategies within hedge funds, like multi-strategy hedge funds, where they were allocating to different strategies and therefore some getting on correlated streams and offsetting risk 
in other areas in the market. They're yep. up 20% year to date on average. Balanced portfolio is up about 11%. So you can see straight away the why and the rationale for investors allocating hedge funds, managing risk better, but also certain strategies can deliver very good sets of returns. And it's right. no surprise then that the industry continues to grow in size. Absolutely. It's, and it's been the talk of town, right? All serial investors are looking at how can they enhance the returns? And also, like you say, how can they protect their capital in an alternative investment? Tom, in this particular case, do you see that newer investors or investors that are starting to do more moving up from mutual funds, moving up from ETFs, are they starting to allocate more into the hedge fund space? I'm, I'm hearing more about that. It gives me great pleasure and I have the great fortune of being able to coordinate a global investor steering committee at AIMA where I would speak to very big investors, institutional investors, and there are some family offices in there as well, and they have historically allocated to hedge funds. But yes. noticeably, even though the last few years, the average hedge fund has, and we have to admit this, has had a challenging period in terms of performance compared to what S&P was doing. And there are reasons for why the S&P did so well. Yeah. However, investors stuck to their guns and said, we are going to stay, remain allocating to hedge funds and to alternatives because of the reasons aforementioned. What we're seeing now is because of what happened in March and what's happened through the course of this year, investors have realized that to borrow a phrase, what you just said, maybe they are the best game in town. But certainly they're the best strategy to work with right now where you have volatile conditions in the market where you may yet experience another correction. Economists globally are talking about a W-shaped correction. If that's the case, then we're in a little bit of, we're in the first part of the W, right? Where the market is starting to increase, but then you're looking at another correction and then we might come back up again. Right. So if another correction is due, then to be in hedge funds is, is the right thing to do, right? So I would say, yes, investors are thinking about that. The prime brokers that we speak to, and I'm sure you read about in across the press, are referencing that, investors are looking to alternatives and looking to hedge funds to help manage the risk in their portfolio and looking for areas where they might be able to deliver uncorrelated returns during this period. So I think yes. And that's very interesting because we're seeing this mega trend of increased talk about hedge funds. And that's also because it's delivered performance, it delivers some of that reduction of volatility in one's portfolio. How are the biggest things is compensation, right? You've got compensation with mutual funds. You've got the compensation with ETFs where ETFs are, you know, less MERs, less management fees. Obviously for a lot of investors, how much they're paying is always something close to heart. How are hedge funds compensation? And actually, as a matter of fact, how are the average hedge funds able to earn these fees? And it really, at the end of the day, from your perspective, seeing the horizon of all hedge funds in general, are these funds actually worthy of the fees that they charge? Very good question. And as you've described it as well, are they worthy of the fees that they charge? They're worthy of the fees they charge if they do what the client asks them to do and they're able to meet the expectation of the client in terms of what returns they're expected to deliver and the risk they're expected to take on. So there's been a lot of talk about the fee structure at hedge funds being two and 20, effectively the management fee being charging 2% and right. performance fee 20%. And there are 
mechanics around all of that is worth exploring for a few minutes. Management fee is something that's set between the client and the manager in terms of what they believe they need to pay to keep the business as a going concern. Very few across our membership charge when they're launching new funds or any funds that are looking to start up. Very few, if any, have a management fee of 2%. So the average management fee now, and we've done some research on this and we're going to be bringing out some more research in the spring, the average management fee is around 1.3%, not 2%. Now, there are some who are charging management fee in excess of 2%. However, they're delivering returns month after month, year in, year out, net of fees, double digits. Also, they've got a business where they've got possibly several hundred staff, which requires then that fee to pay for staff, pay for costs, pay for management of the business. But the average management fee is about 1.3%. The performance fee, we talked about 20%. Right. Performance fee is if you deliver the returns that you have set out with your expectation, working with the client as to what returns am I expected to meet. Aligned to that are things like various mechanics in place. If you don't meet the performance that's been suggested, you don't get the performance fee. And there's hurdle rates and there's high watermarks in place and there's various mechanisms in place between the client, the investor and the manager. So the manager or, or the firm or the particular fund that's working with the investor will only get paid that if it meets all the criteria. It doesn't get paid performance unless it performs right. and rightly. So I would say then that makes sense mechanics and clients and managers understand that. The average performance fee across the industry is about 17%. So straight away, you're looking at management fee, definitely not 2, 2%. Closer to one, in fact, and, and certain strategies are only charging that. And some, I might add, Peter, are not even charging a management fee. They're saying right. we're only going to be paid if we perform deliver. Yeah. And, and deliver on performance. Exactly. And then the performance fee, and rightly so, has stayed robust close to 20 because if they perform, then that is the incentive that's paid to them, which has been agreed between investor and manager. Certain firms with funds like I said, will allay the management fee and say, we just want to be paid on performance. And then they say, we're going with no percent or 50 bips, but we'll get a performance fee of 30%. Right. With all the bells and whistles attached to it. Yes. So I think, are they worth it? If they can deliver, if they can manage risk and the investor's happy, then yes, they are worth it. Bringing this conversation full circle, the investors that we spoke to, particularly in recent years, they were saying, Look, maybe it's partly our fault why we have certain hedge fund strategies behaving in a risk-averse way. Because we said coming out of 2008, don't forget the two rules of investing. Make sure you don't lose us any money. So on that basis then, we're saying don't lose us any money. You're going to behave in a risk-averse manner. And you're only likely then to get that type of outcome. Because if they take on too much risk and then they start to lose for their client, then the client could possibly take the money away from them, right? And then there's no business. So what investors were saying to us was, we want and we scour the world looking for hedge funds or looking for people that we can team up with that can deliver us outperformance, manage our risk. And if they can do that on a consistent basis, then we'll pay. We'll pay whatever it takes. So all of a sudden, then the fees is irrelevant. If they're getting what they require from that business, like anything else, they'll pay for it. Tom, you brought up a very good point. Watermark in terms of compensation from that standpoint. Help us understand this a little bit. What is the trend here? 
are more startups, like you say, smaller MER, smaller management fees. What's the going trend here? Are they doing the watermark? Are they doing yeah. hurdles? What is from a start, from a smaller fund perspective? Yeah, 100%. Most startups now, I would say, if anything, it would be an exception if they didn't have a high watermark in place. What does a high watermark mean? In essence, whatever your assets under management based on performance, whatever you get, if you don't beat that in the next period, whether it's a year or a month or whatever it is, then you're not going to be paid up, paid out. Yeah. So that's what it is. It's the next benchmark up. Because when we think about it, performance fee or incentive fee, wherever you are in the world, whatever way you want to describe it, is exactly that. It's a fee. You're incentivized to do something. But there is obviously contingency around that. And, and it is quid pro quo. We'll pay you if you meet the criteria that we set for you. So most funds have a high watermark. Most funds, certainly half of any new funds nowadays would have hurdle rates in place where they're setting out, whereas a high watermark would be, make sure you beat your performance AUM. Hurdle rate is, we want you to beat, for example, you've got to beat the Hang Seng Index by 50 bips over right. the year or whatever it is, whatever that benchmark is. Because this is another important thing that people should understand. Hedge funds don't have a benchmark as such to compare to. Yes, there are indices out there and there's plenty of commercial indices out there, but there isn't one where you say, this is your benchmark. A hedge fund is unique in that they set something up to invest in a particular asset class or markets or use some sort of markets instrument or whatever it is. And it might be a whole blend of different types of indices, different exposures globally. So you can't just say it's going to be the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or whatever. It's going to be the benchmark that the manager will work with the client on and say, that's the benchmark. Right. The hurdle rates in their absence will say, your benchmark is this. It might be LIBOR plus or London Interbank offering rate plus 2%. Yes. That's your hurdle rate. You must meet that. And you, you will get, in addition to the hurdle rate, the high watermark as well. You're basically saying in order to build a successful hedge fund, there's quartiles, first to fourth quartile. They're comparing not necessarily just to the benchmark like an index or an indice, but really yes. they're comparing against all their peers. Exactly. It, it's highly competitive with all the amount of hedge funds. How many of them continue to grow really well, but some of them, obviously, they're not finding their mark. They may not find their mark. What makes the churn? What changes? Are you seeing this year to year? Is it from a trend basis to now more micro? Now it's getting to more ESP, is going to different strategies, EV or, or hedge funds that are more concentrated on certain topics. Are you finding that in, in general as well? So when you split the industry out, looking back to, I guess, the what I would describe as the latest cycle for the industry, which would date back, you know, to 1990s. Before that, obviously, you've got hedge funds in different forms. It weren't necessarily described as such. But if you take the last 30 years, they started out with the big global macro players, the George Soros and investors like that. Since then, the industry has moved into various different types of sub-strategies, but they still settle on a series of the more recognized investment approaches hedged equity, long short equity, long only global macro, whatever types of views you might take in investing in global macro, relative value, 
arbitrage type strategies, which would be convertible arbitrage and so on, multi-strategy, which has become very popular now. But looking at the industry, it's still dominated by long, short equity and global macro, mm-hmm. still very much. But just with how things have been evolving, you're seeing a lot of strategies now that are using a quantitative element to that investing. So you're seeing some of these factor investing strategies. We estimate about one third of the total industry comprises those types of strategies as a measure of assets under right. management. But to your point, Peter, there is something that would slightly concern me. And when I think about where the share of wealth is going to, about 85% of assets under management are controlled by about probably 10% of managers globally. Doesn't feel like a good fit. So the established names, the big players that are running hundreds of billions of assets under management continue to attract inflows of money. If you take what's just happened now in the last nine months when people have not been able to travel and you really need to have that in-person meeting, as you know well, and your listeners know, if anything has accentuated that bifurcation that's taking place where you see that where the dollar is going in terms of the market share, because established players would have been you know, revisited again between investors and managers, those people who have made that due diligence and have had deals being agreed and had allocations made, obviously they will go back to those people who they know. Whereas newer businesses might be looking for investment, unless they've had that pre-established relationship, they're going to find it very hard to attract new investment. Something to look out for is the bifurcation of the industry and the bigger players with larger assets under management really dominating the share of wealth across the market. So it's something that unless you're truly unique in what you can offer versus the rest of the industry, unless you have previously worked in one of these bigger established hedge fund houses and you have that investor relationship with somebody else or you have found a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and you're able to set up your own business i think it's going to be difficult not impossible but it's going to be difficult to really break into getting a business where you can manage a multi-billion dollar businesses so uh, you, you hit that on the point as well because hedge fund managers essentially are running a business as well so as they are doing that themselves what should investors look for when they're searching for a hedge fund company or a fund house or even fund inside the fund house looking for that uh, manager? What type of things do you see as a classic? You've seen everybody. So from that standpoint, Tom, what would you say are essential things for investors to look for when they're looking for a hedge fund manager to manage their portfolio and or the fund house? Are there some common pointers that you can share with us today? Yeah, AIM prides itself on due diligence questionnaires that it's been doing for over 20 years now. Actually, the work that we started out before, I guess, we've become more recognized since 2008 was really founded on service providing, which is helping investors with their due diligence work. So we've got sound practices and due diligence questionnaires ranging from investors looking to select a manager through to selecting service providers and managers also in in whatever way we can help them. So I would say anybody listening in or anybody who is looking for what might that hedge fund look like, you know, should think about the DDQs that we publish and are available through our membership. And if you're an investor, you can access them for free. And in that will contain a whole series of questions that you need to be aware of 
which would be part of any initial due diligence that you would do. It shouldn't just replace the due diligence, but support your due diligence. But in a nutshell, what should investors be looking for? I think it comes back to, again, if you look at the basic principles around this, what is it the investor's risk and return expectations are? And think about it in that way. Then they need to think about when you're looking at business, if they are an investor that's running hundreds of billions in assets under management, then frankly, they're not just not even going to be able to allocate in a smaller hedge fund sub 100 million because their ticket size is going to wipe out the smaller hedge fund. If they were to pull the investment away, that hedge fund is out of business. So they'll have to look to a certain size of manager. And it depends on how much risk does it want to take on. If it's looking to reduce the volatility in the portfolio, then it might look at hedged equity type strategies, long short equity for that reason. If it's looking for something where it wants to get a more blended view of what's happening in terms of help complement what's in the portfolio and manage risks, then maybe it might look at a global macro strategy. Or if it's looking for something that is completely uncorrelated to anything else they have in their portfolio, then there are certain strategies in there, right? So they would look at risk return. Then they need to think about operationally, how is this business set up? If it's looking for an established player, then obviously most of these things should be in place operationally. And institutional investors, that bar has been raised and continues to be raised in terms of what they're looking for from a manager. If you're looking for a startup, then you need to make sure that all those things are in place operationally. Like, do they have a right COO? Do they have the right CIO? Do they have the right CEO, CFO? What's the risk management process like? And making sure that not one person wears all those hats, right? Because it can't be a conflict of interest. Yes. Then if they're starting up as well, and they're sorry, they're looking to a, to a fund that has started up, look to the background of the principles, to what extent maybe have they been invested in more are working as in a PM capacity, some of the more established houses? Have they got a track record of performance that they can look to within the business that they're starting up as opposed to what they've done previously? Because I think you should separate them out when you're thinking about making an allocation. And then just thinking about what type of fund they're involved in, what, what might the mechanics of that fund look like, the structure between the investor and the manager, how they're going to be paid, how you're likely to incentivize them, the type of fund that they will be domiciled, whether it's a Cayman fund or whether it's a local fund. So all of those criteria in there need to be considered. But as a premise, you should make sure that irrespective of whether it is an established manager or a manager starting out, they must have sound operations. It must meet your criteria, your rigid criteria, background checks, making sure the strategy that you invest in reconciles what it is you're looking for in your portfolio. You've pointed out a lot of great things there. So this has come up a lot amongst investors when we talk, right? Artificial intelligence, or perhaps even the the basis of algo trading, algorithm trading. Is there any impact or is there adoption, vice versa, from a lot of these hedge funds to adopt some of these things with technology or to be able to influence the way that sophisticated hedge funds, portfolio managers are able to add some of these elements to enhance the return. Do you find that being the ongoing trend as well? I think there's a pursuit to do that. I think that there is an increasing number of people that are looking to try to do that, but they're not necessarily describing themselves as proponents of machine learning or artificial intelligence. I think they talk about it more in terms of advanced quantitative techniques. Mm -hmm. The reality is, I don't think in our lifetime, we're going to get to a situation where you just 
press a button on a computer and they'll do all the trading for you and manage the risk fee and you can go to the beach. Just don't think that's going to happen. I think you're always going to have to have that human element working alongside the computer. That being said, the very makeup of these businesses is changing. When I look to the types of businesses that are looking to incorporate quantitative techniques or machine learning would be the next step up in terms of advancement using technology and then ultimately artificial intelligence. Businesses are looking to hire now data engineers, data analysts, you know, computer software engineers, those types of people. And if you look to some of the big established names, you can see that hires have been made from Google, hires have been made from Facebook and so on to help with that. Right. So I think there is a progression to do that. And the thought process is how can they marry the quantitative element around investing and leverage off the explosion of information that we've seen in the last two years. I, I quote a, a fact that you know, never ceases to amaze people. And I tell them this, that 90% of the world's data that you're seeing now today has become available in the last two years. So that's just mm -hmm. an enormous amount of information. And it's mining through that information and trying to find ways to use that in a legitimate way as a legitimate technique, either complement that with your traditional form of investing, research and trading, or think about doing that alone. I think the pursuit right now is going on to do that. Am I aware of any that are doing that outright? I'm not sure there is anybody who's held their hand up and says, we're doing this, but they're looking to do that. And I think... The result will be certainly over the next couple of years, you'll see more people looking to use quantitative techniques, machine learning, language of that type to help with the research and the trading behind some of these. So in that particular case, you've got this element, which I will really want to discuss here, then the portfolio managers, the guys who manage hundreds of billions of dollars, like the Ray Dalio's, that the funds like Warren Buffett itself in, in that theory, or even SoftBank running their vision fund, et cetera. Tom, how important is the portfolio manager, because now you're saying, hey, it's not the technology, it's none of this stuff. It's really partly to their insight, their instinct, their experience, their know-how. Is that what deciphers a good portfolio manager versus somebody who's just starting out, in your opinion, then? How much of it is instinct? I think a lot of it is instinct. You know, I mean, with the exception of maybe a handful of names, most of the uh, most successful hedge fund principles over the last 20 years have been doing the business for the last 20 years in that capacity. And they're aware of the evolution that's taking place and they're trying to adapt these types of techniques into their business. But it's about, like you say, it's instinct. It's about whether you have that raw ability to do these things. It's hard work as well, I might add. I had the pleasure of writing a piece a couple of years ago where I spoke to you know, 25 industry titans and they all told me it's hard work. It's not a job that you can go in at nine o'clock and finish at five o'clock. It's 24 seven, 365 days of the year. They're immersed in the markets. They're immersed in their investing. Yeah, they've given their life to this. Yes, they, they have done very well out of it, but this is their vocation. And it's about that. It's not about they press a few buttons on a computer. Yeah. It is okay. really about trying to bring all of these ingredients and then their inspiration, their sweat to deliver performance. So you talk about these titans, right? 
you talk about these titans that are just doing a fantastic job. You, like you say, the 10% that control a, a huge amount of this AUM. What were some of the things that you saw co in common amongst all these 25 portfolio managers? Were there some things that really stick out that you expected and, and that's the response that you got or vice versa? Were there any things that are outliers that you go, you know what, that's really interesting. One thing that struck me was there were polymaths. There wasn't anything that they didn't know about in some capacity. So right. they were avid readers. They, like I says, they, they were immersed in their business all the time. They were constantly questioning what they were doing they were surrounding themselves with people that were questioning them, what they were doing, and reading up on developments that were impacting or likely to impact on their business. And to take a case in point, when we wrote this paper and we went out and interviewed people in 2017, very few people were talking about ESG and responsible investment. Yes. But when I was asking, what keeps you up at night? They were saying, having to try to manage what we believe is going to be a key disruptive trend, not just across our sector, but across you know, society in general, which is how can we deliver double bottom line, deliver, continue to deliver good returns, but also to be socially conscious about it. And at the time I was working alongside a colleague of mine doing this work, and he was going, I don't believe this. I think this, this is just a fad. I can't see this coming to fruition the way they describe it. Obviously it's been there for a long time, and there's been investors that are looking at responsible investment, but it's a very small percentage. Roll on three years, and you can see the whole world is thinking about this now. Yes. Or yeah. even when you think about technology, they have, those people we spoke to, had already invested in people to help them understand more about how technology could impact on their business because they could see the changes that were taking place. So I would say what is common across them all is that they're avid readers, they're immersed in their work. They've invested their life in it as a vocation. Thank you. So last but not least, Tom, I know for you shared a lot of inspiration about the industry and what's trending. In closing remarks, what are you seeing in the next 12 months? You were coming out of COVID, you're seeing vaccines, you're seeing countries being locked down, being reopened. The world is now ready to reopen as a massive trend. How are you seeing, what's in your crystal ball? What, from a research basis, what are you seeing in the next 12 months? Always a tricky one, this. You can come back to me in 12 months time and, and let me know how I get on. We will mark your words. Exactly. But <laughs> I, I would say, I would expect just what's happened in March to have an impact in terms of how investors are thinking about alternatives and hedge funds. And we talked about that already, how hedge funds manage to draw down better than anything else. So I would expect with... Hedge funds here to date about 7% and certain strategies 20% plus. I'm going to be bold and say that we're going to see investors reinforce their interest in hedge funds next year. Just on, the, on that alone, being able to manage the correction better. And I expect that there will be a major rethink around portfolio allocation, which will see alternative investments play a greater role in investor preference with hedge fund investing becoming more prominent. As I've described, we're in the middle of an evolution where hedge funds that innovate and are flexible will become asset managers that succeed and grow. I think as well, what's happened with people working remotely and you and I now doing this remotely, you're going to see a new operating model emerge for hedge funds. 
you're going to see hedge funds looking to use and looking to manage their operations in a more efficient way because ecosystems across the ecosystem for the industry itself managed itself very well. So I expect that we'll see operating models being revisited, hybrid working models and a drive for efficiency becoming the new norm across the industry. And I think part of that will be, and it'll be key certainly over the next 12 months, will be how firms manage their culture. So there will be, I, I expect there will be a talent flight of some type All right. next year across the industry. And it'll only be firms that are able to manage the culture properly in terms of employee well-being, will come out of this unscathed. When I think about, we talked about the digital transformation, I expect that to continue. And the remote working and forced lockdowns really accelerated the digitalization trend. So we've seen how we talked about quantitative techniques and alternative data, machine learning. You know, and that was used by not just hedge funds, they've been pioneers around this, but also other Um, sectors have been using it as well, particularly alternative data to navigate ways out of this pandemic and to look to new patterns of research and trading. I expect that will continue. And I expect also to see, we haven't mentioned this, but I think this is an area to watch out for, cryptocurrencies and digital assets. I think you're going to see an increase in interest in that again. And you will see also with that, you know, distributed ledger technologies, the DLT area, decentralized finance, all of that becoming areas of interest next year for investors. And we will see hedge funds starting to invest in that as well. Responsible investment in ESG, you know, that continue, social justice movements continue to dominate the news in the past year. I expect attitudes towards ESG, where a lot of the impetus is being contractual with investors. I see that policymakers will now drive that as well from next year. And private credit and this support that non-bank lenders will bring to government-supported schemes, private credit will play a big part as well. So investors will look to private markets next year to help navigate and to help um, manage the COVID-19 recovery. So they're the things that I we should be looking out for next year. And I think that's where I expect the hedge fund industry to develop over the coming 12 months. Fantastic. Well, Tom, you shared a lot of insight, a lot of your experience, and a lot of the research and a lot of it actually, as a matter of fact, can be actually found on your website. We'll provide the link so investors can link up because the resources that you have there is quite amazing. And I'd love to he- you know, hear more about what the Titans have done and what you found from them as well. But we'll share that in a different moment. Tom, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for sharing your experience, your knowledge. And thank you for giving us that insight to the inside workings of how hedge fund managers perform, how you see the mega trends changing this industry. Tom, once again, thank you for being here. Thank you, Peter.